All right, welcome into the Chris Collinsworth podcast, and uh, we're going to have some fun today because it is awards time around PFF, and this is sort of what we live for, the ability to take every single player, uh, evaluate them, compare them, rank them to other players in the National Football League. I'm going to do my own uh, version of this show as soon as whatever life slows down a little bit, I'll get through these next two playoff games. But our guys at PFF have already done it. And um, last night, uh, you got a chance to see Trevor Sykema and our PFF team pass out the awards. And it was a fantastic show. I highly recommend if you are a football fan at all, uh, you go into the PFF YouTube channel and take a look at, um, at what this show was because they really went position by position, took the top five ranks from PFF at every position, really broke down the whole thing. Uh, and if you want a much better understanding of the NFL and positions that you ordinarily would not get that sort of understanding of uh, or know anything else about, uh, this is the show for you for sure. So welcome in Trevor Sykema, who is our hostess with the mostest with all these different shows that we're doing right now. Trevor, great job with that show last night. It had to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. Appreciate you having me on the podcast. And it was, it was a blast getting to sit with uh, Sam and Steve and Austin and, and talk about all these players and not just giving out awards for every position, but certain aspects of every position. That's what makes PFF so cool. That's why the award show, I felt like it was great. We were given all sorts of shout outs to not just the best O-lineman, but the best pass blocker. We gave an award for the best run blocker, the best run defender, the best pass Rusher, you know, it just we broke down the different areas of the game of football that matter, even beyond just position labels. And we wanted to give guys their due. We wanted to give them their respect, their props, recognize them for the fantastic seasons that they had. So it was an awesome show. The energy was great. It's always great recognizing some great performances. So, yeah, I encourage everybody, if you didn't get to watch it live, head over to PFF's YouTube and check it out whenever you can. Yeah, absolutely. You should do that. You should hear it from their mouths because these are the guys that literally are in it every single day. They are watching and studying all the teams as opposed to what I do, which is see two teams per week. And I go a mile deep and <laughs> on two teams. I have no idea what else is going on, uh, but it, it was great. And, and let's get right into it. My son, Jack tells me if you're going to do a podcast ad, get right to the meat of it right away. So let's go right to the quarterbacks here. And because this is sort of hotly debated and probably is going to decide the MVP race as well. And our top five, um, and I think the one at the bottom is kind of the fun one for me that most people he's, he's kind of the dartboard for so many people, but number five is Kirk cousins who had a great year. He really right. did. Now he's got some great players on the outside. Justin Jefferson is just going to be a rock star with that group. Aaron Rodgers is number four and he is probably the leading candidate for the MVP. So we'll talk about that. Justin Herbert, number three, who was unbelievable in that game with the Raiders we did the other night. I don't know how many fourth down <laughs> conversions they had in uh, on their way to tying that thing up. Joe Burrow, Cincinnati's own Joe Burrow is coming in at number two after knocking off the Kansas City Chiefs in his last game. And Tom Brady, the ageless wonder, is number one on the quarterback list as far as our all pro team give me a little bit of this debate it had to be pretty healthy 
Yeah, I mean, it was, it's funny. We're obviously going in uh, ascending order in terms of PFF grades. So it's funny. You see Kirk Cousins there at number five, and some people roll their eyes at it. And it, it's kind of funny because Eric Eager, who is in charge of our uh, research and development at PFF, he basically said earlier this year, he's like, Kirk Cousins kind of broke our system almost. No one else has been able to do it, but Kirk has been able to do it this year. He's had such a high grade, but obviously some of the play on the field has kind of been, uh, you wanted a little bit more risk-taking involved there. And the guys who are ahead of them, those are the guys that you've seen take the risks and it really benefit them super well. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is having a fantastic year. Him and Tom Brady, the debates that we had on the award show were great. We laid out exactly why we have one of those guys as our MVP, but we kind of laid out all of the things beyond common stats. We got into big time throws and turnover worthy plays for uh, who was our MVP, our passer of the year. So outside of MVP was Tom Brady. So Tom Brady, uh, understandably so, gets the nod here as the number one guy. But man, you mentioned it. Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. I don't know how you even fell asleep the night after that Chargers Raiders game. That was one of the most wild games I've ever seen in my life. But those are two of the best young quarterbacks in the game right there. And them being two and three on this list, it means the league's in good hands with some good quarterback entertainment moving forward. It was interesting because I there's people who monitor social media, obviously now after I've stepped in it a few times, so they always have somebody who's monitoring the thing. So I set a new standard. So every time I do a game, it's always about 50-50. I'm so biased for the Raiders or I'm so biased for the <laughs> Chargers. You know, so that's just standard. That's the way it goes. But the, the, there was a third component part to this game. It was he's cheering for a tie because he hates the Steelers. So I managed to squeeze in three hates in one game. <laughs> it, was, it was a new healthy standard for me going forward. Uh, but Tom Brady, despite the interceptions, uh, comes off as, I'm assuming, PFF's MVP uh, in this whole process. Uh, talk to me about why that was over an Aaron Rodgers who had the best record, who had, I think, four interceptions on the season, uh, control of the ball, uh, and, and, and did it really behind an offensive line that was sort of a mess all season, that they were had people in and out. How, how did Brady get the nod? Yeah, and you know Steve Palazzolo was a driving force during this conversation because he wrote a really good article about why Brady was his MVP. And, and you're right, we ended up giving the MVP award away to Tom Brady. And the thing that really stuck out isn't that we hate Aaron Rodgers, right? We're not getting the the Chris Collinsworth treatment where we just hate your favorite team. Uh, what it really was was, yeah, Rodgers has been very efficient. He's been exactly what the Packers needed, and that's good. He's had success with that. But Brady has more volume passing the football, and yet all of those really important categories, the turnover worthy plays, the percentages there, the big time throws, obviously you have the yards as well. All of that is up as well. So not only is Tom Brady right there in the same category with Aaron Rodgers, he's done it by throwing the ball more. So he's had more opportunities to fail. And instead he has just continued to rise to the occasion every single time. And so for the sheer volume that the Bucks offense leans on Tom Brady to have the ball in his hands with good reason. He has continued to deliver. And that's the big reason why he was separated as the top guy for us as our MVP, because he has been asked to do the most in the NFL and he has delivered the most. And that volume matters when it comes to the MVP talk. Interesting. And uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks were nine to one to win the Super Bowl last year going into the playoffs. I understand this year. Nine to one. So there you go. It's uh, it's going to be 
Uh, interesting going forward. Now we're going to do a little bit of the thumbnail version of your show from last night. We want you to go watch the show because it was that good. We're so proud of it. Special thanks to Western and Southern for stepping up and being the sponsor of the program as well. At running back, this one gets pretty interesting as well. Number five is Aaron Jones. Uh, number four, James Connor going over to Arizona. Jonathan Taylor, number three. A.J. Dillon, number two. And Damian Harris, Mr. Angry Runs himself, is number one on this list. This is the one that I think probably is going to surprise some people that Jonathan Taylor isn't the number one guy on this one. Yeah, and it just kind of comes down to usage, right? I mean, we, we, we're living in an age now where there's such a heavy running back by rotation, right? There's all these guys who are in specialized situations. And, you know, when you are a short yardage guy and you do your job well when you play in kind of just those situations, of course your PFF grade is going to be really high, right? You are doing what you are supposed to do. That's what PFF is all about. Not just looking at the common stats and saying, okay, let's judge them off of yards and touchdowns and things like that. We look at every single play and say, how well did you do your job? And so for that, you're going to see some of these guys here. I know like Tony Pollard as well is decently high on this list just outside of the top five. Some of these rotational backs, so obviously we see A.J. Dillon there at number two. They've got really high grades, but again, when you're picking a running back of the year, an all-pro running back, you're going to go with Jonathan Taylor because he has that volume. He's gotten so many carries. The Colts have leaned on him so much to be their team identity, and yet he still has a PFF grade that is comparable to those guys that are more in their niche, specialized situations, which they're kind of supposed to do really well at. So I think, yes, Jonathan Taylor being number three on our grades here for all-pro, it's just kind of a... I think a a showing of where we are in the running back landscape in the NFL. But if we're giving away this award, if we're going all pro running back and we're picking one, we're obviously picking Jonathan Taylor here. Yeah, you know, it, it could come all the way back to Derrick Henry here too. You know, that here's Derrick Henry was doing what he always does at the beginning of the season, gets hurt. But if he comes back and is anywhere close to what Derrick Henry has and can be for the playoffs he may be the running back we end up remembering uh, during the course of this season and the other one i think is aj Dillon. you know age aaron jones a fantastic player and all but aj Dillon, all those games are going to go through green bay and he's 250 pounds and nobody wants to tackle him when it's six degrees outside and all those things may come into play so uh, interesting that the packers land two on that list the wide receiver list is overwhelming to me because this group of, I mean, they're all very different in their own way, but also fantastic. When Tyree kill is number five on your list, you know, what kind of list you've got here. Debo Samuel, maybe the most diverse player that we see in the game right now, I, that his ability to line up in the backfield. And I swear he gains 10 yards every time they hand him the ball, Justin Jefferson, I, I think universally is looked at as, one of those young players that is just going to be uh, top of the charts in the National Football League for the entirety of his career if he can stay healthy. Cooper Cup has shattered every <laughs> conceivable notion of what his career could have been uh, and just has owned it this year. And he's owned it because of the extra work that he puts in. He shows up at 6 o'clock in the morning with Matthew Stafford. They go over everything a thousand times and the magic shows up on the field and Devonte Adams and Aaron Rodgers, Devontae's top of the list. Uh, how was the discussion on this one? Because if you said, all right, 
you get to pick one guy off of that list and you can take him. You can draft anybody you want. Maybe it's Justin Jefferson just because of how young he is. But boy, that would be an interesting choice. This is one of my favorite conversations that we had on the show uh, for the award show because, you know, normally we'll get the finalists. We had five or six finalists for every single award. And before we announce the winner, you know, we go, hey, who do you want to give a shout out to? Who do you want to talk about? And it was a good opportunity to talk about the guys on the list. And normally there was an obvious two, maybe three guys that you really wanted to give shout outs to. Wide receiver, it's like, okay, you want to give a shout out to every single one of these guys. I mean, Jamar Chase isn't even on this list. That's how incredible wide receiver production has been this year. And we had a really fun debate on the show. Who would you rather take right now, Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase? I'll let you guys know. I picked Justin Jefferson, but we had a really, really good back and forth with some great information about who would you take between Jefferson and Chase. But, you know, you mentioned it. Devontae Adams is at the top. I think if you're giving away one all-pro honor, you would give it to him. But here we've, we're given three, so I think you would. I think that you would go Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, and uh, and probably Justin Jefferson for the season that he's had. Cooper Cup, though, I just want to shout out what he's been able to do. This is a little scouting note from me. He was used so heavily at Eastern Washington. He was the guy. And then when he got to the NFL, no matter what they continued to put on his plate, it never surprised him. He was always ready for it. He already had that in his DNA. So it wasn't new being a wide receiver one. It wasn't new breaking all sorts of records, catching all these balls, getting all these yards. Go look at his stats from Eastern Washington. They're some of the best that you're ever going to see in college football. And so when he came into the NFL, having that in his DNA, that you could, the more you leaned on him, the more comfortable he was going to return what you were giving him. I think that's a little thing in scouting that I always love to point back to has this guy been used heavily before can you count on him to be that again if he continues to ascend to be the talent that you believe that he is cooper cup's a great example of that again if you want to see all the details on this uh, show that they put together pff youtube and uh, you will thoroughly enjoy it i promise you the tight end position got really interesting as well so kyle pitts number five on the list uh, the great rookie in Atlanta, Rob Gronkowski, <laughs> you can't kill him. Uh, Travis Kelsey, <laughs> you know, right there as he always is, literally feels like he won games by himself this year, at least some of the ones that I saw. But the two guys clearly at the top of the list here, Mark Andrews from the Ravens, who is fantastic. George Kittle, who is, again, one of those, uh, uh, not only the the pass catcher, but the great run blocker as well. I bet that was a pretty healthy debate. Yeah, and I think it was Austin Gale who said this on the show that Mark Andrews has been quarterback proof or somebody at the desk said that. And when you look at everything that's happened with the Ravens, how beat up they have been, Mark Andrews has been the steady Eddie, whether it was Tyler Huntley, whether it was Josh Johnson, whether it was was Lamar Jackson, they leaned on Mark Andrews and he continued to deliver. And for you to have that kind of production, no matter who is your quarterback, first string, second string, third string, that's why you get that kind of a grade. That's why you're consistently so high uh, in our rankings. And, you know, of course, George Kittle's right there. He's an absolute alien, what he is able to do. Having him and Debo Samuel on the same team almost doesn't even seem fair. It really doesn't. But, um, you know, that's kind of what the 49ers have leaned on, and it's been great for him. But I just hats off to Mark Andrews in the year that he was able to have with so much or inconsistency at the quarterback position. 
Yeah. And it's really not a passing team. You know, that's the right. He's like the changeup, uh, honestly. And you would think if any team was going to have a pure blocking tight end, it would be the Ravens because that's, you know, they're a run first sort of team, but they don't. Thank God they don't because they've got a great one right there. Um, I, 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 the, the offensive line discussion on the show was so fantastic. I want to force people to go to the show because it's right off the top. Where we started with the quarterbacks, you guys started with the offensive line. And I mean, I, you may not know all the names, but it is such an inside look at football that I, I really want to push everybody to go watch that show. But the bottom line is there was really one guy who stuck out on the list and that was Trent Williams. I mean, this, we have seen some unbelievable numbers like JJ Watt back in the day when I first started with PFF literally broke our system because we were trying to do one to a hundred system. So we had to put, so the highest we could put JJ was 99.9. And a lot of the grade comes down to the separation between what he is and what the other people at that position are. And so that the gap was so large that if we didn't put, if we put JJ Watt at 99, right? Like the Madden grade, we put him at 99. That meant the greatest players in the league, other than JJ Watt, the highest grade they could have was like an 88. I go, we can't give these all pro unbelievable players an 88. I go, how about if we give JJ Watt 108? And he goes, well, you can't do that. Then you're not a one. I mean, you should have heard some of the fights that we had over JJ Watt. And now Trent Williams, the outstanding tackle of the 49ers, is doing the same thing. Yeah, just an unbelievable year from Trent Williams. And uh, yeah, Sam uh, Monson brings up a lot of great points on Trent Williams and how we got to the grade that we have here in 98.2, 98.3. And just depending on what you're looking at, Trent Williams is elite at all of it. Pass blocking, run blocking, it doesn't matter. He's an eraser. He, he was every single play. And that's what PFF, you know, that's what we hang our hat on, right? We're looking at every single play. And for him to have a grade up in the 98s at all, really, uh, really anything above like a 93, 94 is how it was explained to me. Anything for a season grade above 93, 94 is so difficult to get because you have to be that much better than the rest of your the, the rest of your peers consistently not just like a play not just like oh okay he erased that guy he mauled that guy there oh that was a great pass blocking rep you are consistently unbelievably elite above your peers and so we spent a lot of words talking about trent williams he won a ton of awards for it but i also wanted to give a shout out to DeAndre Whitworth, who we also gave an award to. We gave some recognition to him. The 40-year-old offensive tackle got an award last night as recognition for one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. We had a really great discussion on Tyron Smith, Jordan Mailata, all of those guys. And so that was really cool. I'm with you. I would encourage everybody to go watch the beginning of the show. We start off talking about offensive linemen, and it's a really good conversation about why these guys have so much value, why we put so much emphasis on them, and ultimately, why we wanted to recognize them getting some awards last night. You know, it, it is interesting that some of the teams that maybe don't have the top-end quarterback play are getting away with it because they are stacked on this offensive line play. You know, I mean, basically uh, Philadelphia and, and Cleveland and 
um, e even the Rams with the, their ability to go some of those outside zones and bootlegs, the 49ers, a team that you mentioned, the Dallas Cowboys. So it, it, there are some there are some teams now as we go into the playoffs that you're beginning to think, even the Green Bay Packers with the way that they can run it, right. um, that, that the running game, despite the fact that we don't put a great deal of focus on the running back, our belief at PFF and what we believe the math will tell you is that it's more about the guys blocking than it is who's running the ball. Uh, and this is just a fantastic discussion all the way across the board. New England, another team that yep, uh, is yep. doing that. I mean, even Kansas City, Creed Humphrey, the center, is number one on our list. And he's um, a, a guy in that remade Kansas City offensive line. Maybe it is the running game of Kansas City that ultimately puts them uh, where they need to be here. Well, you want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know more about the behind the scenes with Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football or need to know about your financial future? We can do all that. Western and Southern is teaming up with me, and uh, we're going to share some insights that can help you uh, get way ahead on both your fantasy football and your financial scoreboard. So every submission uh, that you do earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate Football's favorite Sunday, we all know what that is. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500, coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, wherever that might be, and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And we do that by having people ask questions. And so this week's questions you can send into Western and Southern uh, for me was uh, comes from Las Vegas. Chris, if Handed a time machine, what game would you travel to in the past to call? Oh, boy. Um, you know, the one that immediately comes to mind for me is the freeze bowl between the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. It came down to the quarterback sneak by uh, Bart Starr on the one-yard line. And um, I, to me, that was the one that I, I can remember. I grew up in Florida trying to imagine what it would have been like to play in a game that was that ridiculously cold and, and just <laughs> you couldn't imagine it. And then in my rookie year of the National Football League, I played in – one of the coldest games. I think the temperature on that day was like minus 11 or 12. I played in what we called the freeze bowl game against the San Diego chargers in the AFC championship. Uh, and that game was minus nine, but the wind was blowing 35 miles an hour. So it was by far the coldest wind chill in the history of the national football league. So I think to book in that one that I played in, and hated, I mean, literally, I can only describe it as if the first pass that I caught in that game and somebody hit me, it felt like somebody took a sledgehammer to a mirror. It felt like I fell to the ground in like 175 pieces. And I, I mean, the ball just, I caught it and turned and then uh, just came out of my hands. I fell on it. But I've never had a feeling like that in my whole life, and I hope to never have it again. But I would have enjoyed calling that one, despite the fact that I probably would have wanted my electric long underwear to help me be a part of that cause. So there you go. Uh, that would be my game of choice if I could jump in that time machine and go backwards in time. And if you want to play the game here a little bit, submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash 
FEAST, F-E-A-S-T. One more time, it is westernsouthern.com slash feast. And if you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. The NFL playoffs are here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking things off with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, uh, I'll be there, and uh, new customers for that can get 56 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game. 56 to 1, how about that? Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still have something to say about and something to play for with this wild card weekend. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code PFF. That is promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just five bucks and win 280 bucks in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF this wild card weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. Right now, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code Collinsworth, C-O-L-L-I-N-S-W-R-T-H. And what do you get with a PFF subscription? All of PFF's locked article content, the NFL betting uh, dashboards for the playoffs. Got to have that. NFL Green Line is up 27 units this season. So those guys are all about to retire off all their bets. And the player prop tool, which shows plus minus value for every NFL prop. And the NFL draft guide that'll be coming out very shortly. And it's going to make watching the draft more fun than you could ever imagine. And so much more. It's so easy to do. Support the podcast. Use promo code Collinsworth for 25% off any subscription. Let's go on to defense now. And the the biggest ho-hum of the entire thing is, is Aaron Donald at the top of the uh, list. But a, a couple of guys to mention here. Uh, one, I think that Cameron Hayward, uh, the year that he had this year, because they had so many injuries along that defensive line and and it just uh to it was out a lulu was out and and he really sort of had to keep it together uh by himself a, a great season jonathan allen was tremendous this year uh some different guys so aaron donald again top of that list uh, but the edge rushers to me it was something really interesting because it's so different. You've got TJ Watt who tied Michael Strahan's sack record, mm -hmm. right? He's right in there at number three, Max Crosby, who really was number one for much of the year. What I think maybe led the league in pressures overall, had a great game basically to carry the Raiders into the playoffs in that game against the chargers, miles Garrett, Rashawn Gary, you know, has come so far, Nick Bosa, but I, I want to hear, because I didn't hear this. I haven't gotten to the end of the show yet. Who did everybody pick out? I mean, how do you choose between TJ Watt, Max Crosby, and Miles Garrett as far as uh, the top edge player? 
Yeah, it's it's tough, right? I mean, like this almost feels like wide receiver. You've got so many guys here. It, it's almost embarrassing keeping players off of this list, even outside of the five. And I think a lot of the debate obviously surrounded three players, Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, and TJ Watt. And it was kind of a, who do you give this award to? Obviously, TJ Watt had the sacks. Miles Garrett has the higher overall PFF grade, which as we've explained before, is play-by-play basis. And then Max Crosby, he just started the year so hot, continued to be hot as we went on and like you said he led the league in pressures and so this was this was tough our defensive player of the year ended up going to Aaron Donald so we didn't pick one of these guys here um but there was a ton of debate around who we would have picked for the edge rusher and I think most of us on the desk would have selected either Miles Garrett or Max Crosby. I think a lot of, if, if we had to vote for one guy, if it was like a one all pro kind of a thing, given the award, I think a lot of people would have recognized Max Crosby for lead, not just leading the NFL in pressures, but like Aaron Donald was second in pressures. And I think Aaron Donald had 95, 96, something like that. And Max Crosby had 112. Like he was the only guy who had over hundred pressures. He beat Aaron Donald by almost 15 pressure, right? Like he had so, he had so much production and it wasn't just in spurts. It was all year long. The, the Raiders are a team that they don't need a, they don't need a blitz to get all sorts of production. They rely heavily on their front four and their front four delivered all season long. And so, you know, for defensive player in the year and for best pass rusher, we ended up giving it to Aaron Donald just because how he gets his pressures as an interior defensive lineman, I mean, you're not even supposed to be able to do the things that he does. So we gave him the award because it's kind of just almost an Aaron Donald award at this point. But for edge rusher, we had a really great debate of where we would put TJ Watt and his 22 and a half sack season up against guys like Miles Garrett, guys like Max Crosby. If we were voting for one edge rusher, I think as the group, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think as the group, we probably would have landed on Max Crosby, but it was a really great debate with a lot of good information talking about some damn good edge rushers. Now, Max Crosby, pretty amazing with just the effort alone. Uh, Just talk a little bit more about Aaron Donald uh, because it's going to frustrate people. And I understand that. Um, that you've got somebody in Pittsburgh, because uh, I love Pittsburgh. You know that. I love Pittsburgh. and But to have somebody in Pittsburgh that has tied the sack record, the sort of iconic record, 22 and a half, and actually there was a debate as to whether or not he deserved 23 and a half because there was a fumbled snap, uh, and it was T.J. Watt that, uh, the quarterback picks it up. T.J. Watts right. made the tackle. The, you know, the whole thing. Pittsburgh appealed that to the league, claiming that that should have been a sack as well. It was denied. Uh, but but when we get talk about Aaron Donald, uh, I think the one thing that you have to consistently say is that sometimes it's easy to pick out who the best players are because they're getting double teamed on every single play. And mm-hmm. certainly the guys we've been talking about, but Aaron Donald's ability to win against double teams and win inside where they could triple team them if they want to, and they often do, uh, it's just been an amazing run of consistency. You know, we sort of had the J.J. Watt era of you can't beat that, and now we're in right. that Aaron Donald era of you can't beat him. 
Yeah, and it feels that way, right? I mean, and when you go back to TJ Watt, you know, we had a really good debate. And again, I encourage you guys to go watch the show because Steve and Sam and Austin even say kind of more words and more context on this that makes it great. But Austin's point that he hammered home with TJ Watt is we don't hate TJ Watt. TJ Watt had a fantastic year. He had a near elite grade from us, right? We recognize how impactful he has been as a pass rusher, but as a run defender, he's been marginal. I mean, we had him as a low 70s kind of a grade there. So, you know, it's not like he was a major massive impact as a run defender again not that he was bad it's just different when you're comparing to somebody to Aaron Donald it's really really difficult and with TJ Watt yes you have the 22 and a half sacks but TJ Watt played like 450 snaps okay well what happened in the other 430 right outside of the 22 that he got getting sacks okay what happens in the other ones now is he am I saying he's a bad football player in that many snaps no that's not what I'm saying but when you look at Aaron Donald and when you look at recognizing who is defensive player of the year who is the pass rusher of the year you just mentioned it Chris this man ain't flying under the radar for anybody we have given Aaron Donald an elite PFF grade in every single year of his career since 2014 the league has been on Aaron Donald watch since 2016 like since two years into the league they've gone okay this guy is really really freaking good we better put every body we possibly can to block him and he still gets production he still gets through to the quarterback and when you play on the interior it's also much more natural that you're having to go through multiple bodies when you're on the edge yeah you're a little bit of a further distance away from the quarterback but you get a lot of one-on-ones it's normally just hey I've got my offensive tackle if I beat him in space I'm gonna have a clear-cut path to the quarterback Aaron Donald's going up against one offensive guard and one offensive center on every single play every single play if not the running back also keying in on him and yet he continues to get production. He continues to get pressures. He is far and away the best defensive player on the planet. And that is why we give him this award. That's why we recognize him with the way that we do. He plays such a unique alignment in where they place him and what he has to go through to have success. And yet he continues to do so every time. And so that's what PFF is all about. Not just looking at the 22 sacks, those 22 and a half plays. We recognize them. We give them props. TJ Watt, obviously, anytime you a record that's that that's been standing for that long it's that incredible we give you your props but every single play matters to us and for that Aaron Donald was the best football player and again you can go to uh, PFF's YouTube channel and watch the entire show and I highly recommend you do I, I want to hit on just a couple more people here um, and, and one is Micah Parsons uh, we've seen a lot of rookies come in the league before we've seen a lot of rookies that are good pass rushers or are good cornerbacks or good whatever. Uh, Micah Parsons is playing almost every position there is for the Dallas Cowboys because he is expected to drop into coverage down the middle of the field 25 yards deep sometimes. He's expected to get on the edge and go get the quarterback sometimes. He's expected to play middle linebacker and go sideline to sideline and take on guards and come up. And he has just answered the bell on every single one of them. Uh, and I give Mike Renner credit for him. I mean, Mike Renner was all over this guy from the beginning that this was going to be, and he's our draft guru. He was going to be such a difference maker. And he absolutely has been turning that Dallas Cowboys defense around. Uh, what were some of the comments about Micah Parsons? Oh, it was, it was, it was a lot of remembering how freakish this dude's rookie year was, right? I mean, 
I give Dan Quinn a ton of credit for what he has been able to do on that defense, mainly his use of Micah Parsons and how creative he has been in getting the most out of Micah Parsons this season gives me a lot of encouragement that this dude is going to be a head coach again someday because he just gets it. He understands it. He didn't look at Micah Parsons and say, okay, you know, we've got Jalen Smith. We've got Leighton Van Esch, We've got experience at linebacker. So, you know, I'm not really going to play Micah Parsons. I'm going to let him learn his rookie year. No, no, no. Micah Parsons showed up in practice, showed that he was one of the best players on the field. And Dan Quinn went, okay, I'm going to figure out how to get you on the field. And sometimes that was as an off-ball linebacker. Other times when they suffered a lot of injury on the edge they had him as a full-time edge rusher and the thing was the thing that's the most impressive about Micah Parsons is that it's not like he went into games saying okay I am an edge rusher this game or I am an off-ball linebacker it's not even the game by game versatility that he had there were games where he'd be he'd play 40 snaps on the edge 10 snaps as an off-ball linebacker 10 snaps on the edge 40 snaps as an off-ball linebacker. Every single game, it was different. Dan Quinn put so much on this kid's plate, and he delivered. He is one of the most talented box players in the NFL, no doubt about it. And honestly, rookies aren't supposed to be able to do this. And so, you know, you mentioned, Mike, recognizing that throughout the draft process, and that's what scouting is all about. It's all about looking at what guys can do and giving them the platform, the freedom, the structure to be able to do that. Go draft good football players and let them make good football plays. That's what Dan Quinn and Dallas Cowboys have done all season long with Micah Parsons, and he has continued to reward them to the point where he is now a major focal point, even as a young rookie, for them being as high of a playoff seed as they are now. My final one also has to do with the Dallas Cowboys. Trayvon Diggs, who has become a bit of a hot-button issue he's what 11 interceptions uh on the on the year i think was the final yeah. number jalen yeah. ramsey we have as the number one player and i agree with that i think jalen ramsey's just been unbelievable this year um some aj terrell i know had had a great year uh, jc jackson it seems like every single year getting a lot of the interceptions but why no trayvon Diggs? people want to put him in the category of defensive player of the year and he didn't crack the top five on our cornerback list Yeah, and he wasn't in our finalist list for best uh, pass coverage player either. We had three safeties and three corners. We had Jordan Poyer, Jalen Ramsey, Kevin Byard, A.J. Terrell, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., and Darius Slay. Those were our six candidates for best coverage player. And uh, I think the reason why Trayvon Diggs isn't on that list is because that word coverage comes into it. It's not just takeaways. Now, do takeaways matter a whole damn lot? Of course they do. You'll hear coaches week in and week out say what? We got to win the turnover battle. We got we to gotta take the ball from them and we got to keep the ball ourselves. And no corner in the NFL has done a better job of swinging possessions the way that Trayvon Diggs has. And that is absolutely noteworthy. But he's also given up more than a thousand yards in coverage this year. And so teams, it's not like, it's teams are not treating Trayvon Diggs the way that they treated Stefan Gilmore who won defensive player of the year or Jalen Ramsey, who has been regarded as one of the best corners in the NFL. You know, you mentioned there, they're not treating him as like one of these shutdown kind of corners. Trayvon Diggs is making a lot of teams pay with interceptions. And yet every team continued to attack 
Diggs in coverage. Now, you just have to, we're not saying that Diggs is absolutely terrible, right? That's not what any of us are saying. But we're saying, look at the reason why that's the case. Look at the reason why teams aren't totally staying away from Diggs, despite him having 11 interceptions. It's because the overall coverage, that play-by-play basis that we are grading, does not paint Trayvon Diggs in a light that you would think of with a player who is making that many impacts off of turnovers. And so really it's just, it's that snap my snap coverage grade. That's the reason why Trayvon is not in this category. That's why his grade isn't very high for us because as long he does have the 11 interceptions, but he's also given up more than a thousand yards in coverage, which is one of the most, it might be the most in the NFL. I can't remember if he was at the top of the list or if he finished right there close to it, but that's ultimately why you got to take the good with the bad and the good with the bad of Trayvon Diggs still does not spell out one of the best coverage years here on our grades. All right. Well, once again, the PFF YouTube channel, if you want to see the entire show, it is well worth your while. Um, I, Michael Ayers, our producer here today, want to send a shout out for some of the the stuff that he sent me about these games this weekend. One of the ones that um, I, I find really interesting are the numbers. Uh, like Tom Brady is 34 and 11 in the playoffs. That is almost impossible to do. I, I, I mean, I, one of the things I'm proud of is that I, I actually have a winning record in my career. We were five and four when I was playing because we did have two Super Bowl losses, but at least we won a few to get there. Um, but Tom Brady, 34 and 11, by comparison, some of these other great quarterbacks, uh, Aaron Rodgers is 11 and nine. Uh, ben Roethlisberger with two Super Bowl wins was 13 and nine. The other one that jumps out at you there on the list is Patrick Mahomes, you know, six and two. And it's probably the reason that most people have this thing coming down to three teams. They like Kansas City, they like Tampa, and they like Green Bay. Any gut feel on on opening weekend, the one that, that sticks out to you? Yeah, I mean... Uh... It, it, I think I'd have the most faith in the Packers right now, simply because, of course, they have the buy. You mentioned it there. Even if you are one of the best teams, even if you have one of the best quarterbacks, the playoffs is the playoffs. And if you've got to go line up against somebody, there's a chance that you could lose. So the fact that Green Bay isn't having to play this weekend, I mean, that kind of makes all the difference in the world right there. Why I think I would probably have the Packers as the favorite. The Bucks are getting healthy. They're getting a lot of guys back. But you know, no Antonio Brown, no Chris Godwin. I still think that's really going to hurt him. You know, people do, I think, forget what kind of an impact Antonio Brown even made in the Super Bowl last year. And um, yeah, of course, his antics are why he's not on the team now. But it's it's it, it, the Bucks are in the conversation, but it's tough without those two receivers, even with Tom Brady there. Patrick Mahomes, it's, it's kind of like a what Chiefs team is going to show up. You know, they played really, really terribly at the beginning of the year on offense, and then they started to really get it together. And I think I had the about a seven game win streak right in the middle of the season there. And it, 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 even amidst the seven game win streak, it's not like you thought, okay, the chiefs are back. It was almost like you were still waiting for something. And so with Patrick Mahomes, anything can happen, but I'd probably put it right now. I'd say I'd have the Packers as the favorites, the bucks, number two, I'd say the chiefs would probably be number three. And then I'd have the bills at number four. I think the bills are poised to catch fire i think that they got pissed off with a couple of those losses near the end of the season I think josh allen's playing really 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 well and so if they can find that good pass run split going into the playoffs buffalo could be a very dangerous team 
They got to win the rubber match against the Patriots this weekend. The other one I think is so intriguing is 49ers and Cowboys. The Cowboys are sitting on, they've got a lot of really good things going. I mean, they can throw the ball when they're right. They can run the ball when they're right. They have really good pass rushers and Demarcus Lawrence is back now. Randy Gregory. I mean, they have the ability, Micah Parsons to get after the quarterback. Um, And, but the 49ers are that, pain in the rear team that you have to beat. I mean, they're going to line up and try and just blow you off the ball and, and Trent Williams and here it comes and play action off of it. I would think that that was not first choice for the Dallas Cowboys to see the 49ers come rolling in on this opening weekend, despite the fact they don't have a great record. There's something about that matchup. And and I think the point spread reflects that the Cowboys only a three point favorite in that one. Man, I think that when you look at everybody in the NFC who is playing this weekend, I think that of course, nobody wants to face Tom Brady in the playoffs, but after the Buccaneers, let's just take like home field advantage out of it. What's the one team that, most fans would say they don't want to face it's the Niners and it's because they present such a unique matchup with Debo Samuel with George Kittle with how they run the ball with that offensive line led by Trent Williams right I mean like they just put you in such tough situations they have Nick Bosa as well they've got Fred Warner still two fantastic young players in the game and like it's just it's such a tough matchup because there are so many games throughout this season where you go yeah, the 49ers, uh, they're, they're bad. They don't, they don't stand a chance here and they win. And there's, you know, it's just, there's so many instances where they give teams fits. They're such a tough matchup. Everybody talks about like, ah, we ran into this team at the wrong time, or, you know, it just wasn't a good matchup on paper. That's the Niners. That's everybody's fear of facing the 49ers because of those unique weapons they have you can't just say to yourself okay we've got a good corner he can guard Debo Samuel okay well what happens when Debo Samuel's lining up in the backfield at a halfback position right who who's guarding him then one of your linebackers are you prepared for that same thing with George Kittle okay he's on the line we got a linebacker for that all right well now he's out wide by the sideline you have a corner for that it's just so difficult to match up against the 49ers with those kinds of weapons and anytime that's the case you're a dangerous football team Trevor Sikama and uh, the show this weekend is the all pro team PFF's all pro team. And I hope you'll go check it out. It is on YouTube PFF's YouTube channel, and you will, you will really enjoy it. Hope you enjoy all the uh, games this weekend. The two games on NBC, the Raiders and the Bengals jump off on uh, Saturday to kick everything uh, off there. And then we'll do the Steelers and the chiefs on Sunday night. But uh, if you're a fan, this is the first time that we've had a Monday night game uh, on uh, during the, the wild card weekend. First time we've had six games during the wild card weekend. So uh, can't wait to get back here on Tuesday and <laughs> we'll all be brain dead, I'm sure. But uh, we'll have a lot of fun with that. But Trevor, great job on the show uh, and uh, look forward to doing this again sometime. Appreciate it, Chris. Anytime.